you're very welcome to the Football Walking Tour podcast. My name's Aon. I am Gary. This is not a good it's a podcast. Great, it's a great podcast. <laughs> so we're here to discuss many of the themes that we talk about on our Football Walking Tour. We go from Crow Park to Dalyman Park on our north side one. We go around the south side as well. The Little Museum of Dublin have taken us on to do the south side walking tour and we talk a lot about the controversies and the uh, the view of soccer. And the history, yes, of soccer and the fact that uh, the game of soccer wasn't really part of official Ireland. Didn't like it, didn't like uh, it. it, kind of, it was initially, but then it very quickly... Yeah, lots of controversies and scrapes with official Ireland, with politics, with, um, with the church, etc., etc. So we're going to go from 1916, the revolutionary period, up until... Jack's Army. And one of the, uh, I suppose, the biggest landmark uh, of official Ireland in terms of the GAA has to be Croke Park. Croke Park, uh, yes. And it's of interest to people that it lies something like a, an alien spaceship in a very soccer area because there's a huge amount of soccer internationals from around Croke Park. There are, including uh, Jack Byrne. Indeed. Um, uh, Curtis Fleming. Mm-hmm. Wes Houlihan. Um, there is uh, going back to the 1930s Paddy Moore Indeed. Uh, he scored four goals in one match against uh, Belgium back in the days when we used to score goals Indeed, Kenny Cunningham uh, Kenny Cunningham possibly so um, and uh, there is uh, also uh, uh, um, uh, Troy Parrott uh, Keith Tracy, Keith Tracy. The women's game, Olivia Tool, Michelle Kane, uh, and there's a number of other players which we'll, we'll Stephen talk Elliott, of, Stephen well. Elliott, yeah. of course, we'll talk over the course of the uh, uh, of, of the coming weeks uh, as well. But Crow Park itself, people sometimes think it's 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 this incredible uh, symbol of of Gaelic Ireland and Irishness and all the rest of it. But it was actually a soccer ground in its early years. Bohemians played their first season there from 1890 to 1891, and it's only been in GA ownership since since 1913. Uh, but all sorts of games were played there back in the day. Yes, so I believe. And to discuss this as if by magic, we have the author uh, of the book on Crow Park, Tim Carey. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Well, joining us to discuss Crow Park uh, is the author of the book Crow Park A History, who obviously spent a long time coming up with that title, Tim Carey. Uh, and I, Gary, I'm going to tell you that I know it Tim. It does well. exactly what it says on the team. I'm going to tell you, I have history with this man. Because this man once gave me a job in Kamehameha Jail back in 1998. When he was in charge of Kamehameha Jail, he was Mr. Kamehameha Jail, and oh. he has been on a number of has a number of different roles since then. Not least of which was uh, was curator of the Crow Park Museum. Am I right, Tim? That's all very correct. I know all this, the secrets of that young man's past. Now, yes, so yes, many, indeed. Many I actually attended this man's man. wedding. Uh, he might remember man. this. Yeah, I, I attended this man's wedding, and I lost a heel off a shoe. It was 1998, <laughs> and there was kind of footwear was different, and so there was heels on shoes, and I lost a heel off my shoe at his wedding. <laughs> that, is, that is one of those things which you don't know how to respond to. There's no words. So then he went off. He went off and wrote a book, which I, I find impressive. But anyway, so Tim, uh, that news in your heel. Well, yeah. So Tim, thanks very much for uh, for, for being with us. And and we we uh, we find Crow Park fascinating from a soccer point of view in a way because. Um, there is a sense sometimes when you grow up in this country that Crow Park is this mecca of Irishness carved out of, 
I don't know, Cullen's Stone, if you like. Um, but it had a history before it became into GA ownership in 1913 of having every sport played there, uh, including, including, including uh, football, obviously, or soccer and cricket, uh, as far as I'm aware, as, as well. Would this be accurate, Tim Carey? Yeah, I mean, well, it was it was open to everything. It was a private it was a private venture uh, run by a man called Butterly. And uh, so it was just a sports ground. Anyone wanted to pay their money to rent the, the, the ground for the, the day, they were more than welcome and then to charge in. So not sure about cricket, but you, you could well be right. Um, so, I mean, it was just the city and suburban sports ground. And it wasn't until uh, 1896 that... Um, the first GA match was played at Croke Park. Right. Um, and that was between Navano Mahonies of Meath and Isles of the Seas of Dublin. Um, and but it, what was interesting for me was there was an article from 1897, which uh, a really long article about going to a GA match at Croke Park. And what was remarkable was is how similar it is to the experience of today, or well, let's say pre-pandemic or in post-pandemic. Um, and it's, you know, so Jones's Road was, it very quickly became kind of a centre for the GA in Dublin, but it was by no means the only sort of place for GAA. We always associate that, but I mean, All-Ireland Finals are held in Kimmage, in Clonsky, in Phoenix Park. Uh, big matches played all around the city, Clonturk Park, which wouldn't have been too far from, from yeah. Croke Park. In fact, actually, I think Jim Gavin in more recent years had brought the Dublin team down to Clonturk Park to inspire them because that's where Dublin won their first All-Ireland. So, right, so, so... You're joking, is that true? Yeah, 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 yeah apparently so, yeah. We, we tell a story in the story um, about a guy called Jack Kirwan who won an All-Ireland with Dublin in the 1890s and then went on to play for Spurs and then went on to manage IX Amsterdam and came up with their famous colours. Uh, so he was one right. of the early uh, er, early winners of an All-Ireland. But yeah, so Clan Turk Park was, um, in, in more recent years, inspired Jim Gavin and, 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 and this side. But, but anyway, so, so All-Ireland finals were played around the city. Uh, all around the city and all around the country, in Burr, in, Tip, in Tipperary, in Athai. Um, so, you know, Dublin was not, Dublin wasn't the centre of the GAA. In reality, most All-Irelands were actually played outside of the capital in the first 20 years, just just more than half. Um, and the GAA was, I suppose, very much a kind of monster organisation. Um, mm. And it wasn't until later on that it had that Dublin focus. Um, but one of the, I suppose, one of the reasons that the city and suburban sports grounds became so central was in it went up for sale in 1907. Incidentally enough, um, uh, it was turned down as a venue for artisan dwellings by uh, Dublin Corporation at the time. And Alderman Butterly, politician, sold the land to Frank Deneen. Now, Frank Deneen was a big GAA guy, but he was an athletics person. Um, not, I suppose, what we would associate with, with uh, the GAA today so much. Um, but Frank Deneen, it was interesting because he saw something that a, lot, a few other people saw was that the GAA needed to own its own grounds. And um, basically, they were begging of other people to let them use their grounds. There was inadequate facilities. People were bunking in, getting in for free, not paying. I mean, early GA All-Irelands were pretty chaotic events. Um, matches that were supposed to last an hour often lasted two hours because of pitch invasion, fights, 
um, various shamans would say anything. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do you mean that that's a long time ago? It's ancient history, ancient history. Yeah, yeah. What, what a strange time. What a strange time. Right. Okay. So there, it was slightly, slightly chaotic, as you say. Oh, it was, I mean, like, look, you know, this was an era when, you know, all sports were big, becoming codified. They were becoming sort of professionally run. It was a European worldwide phenomenon. Um, association football, cricket, you know, rugby, um, and GA was very p- much part of that. But suddenly they were, not suddenly, but uh, gradually they were drawing crowds of thousands, you know, 10,000 people coming to a match. No stands, no terraces, no fencing. Um, and there was one, uh, it was in a, a very famous uh, 1903 match between Kerry and uh, Kildare that the Kildare supporters encroached onto the pitch. The Kildare player with the ball ran behind the supporters. The Kerry players thought the ball had gone dead, and the Kerry, the Kildare player re-emerged the other side and scored a goal. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a ta- there's a tactic to bring into your coaching manual. <laughs> but uh, but before before all that though, I mean, as you said, the grounds themselves because it's interesting for people to to learn that Bohemian Soccer Club um, Football Club had their first season in those Crow Park grounds. So uh, it only emerged in, in 1890, 1891. So it emerged as a kind of a exclusively or predominantly GA uh, ground, if you like, or venue later on uh, in, in the period. On, yeah, no, it was, yeah. I mean, even after 1907, when, Butler, um, when sorry, Deneen, who uh, Hill 16 is sort of co-named after now uh, in honour of him, um, he opened it up, you know, he was willing to rent it to anyone as well, but he concentrated obviously on athletics and the GA, and the GA was where his heart was. He put a fair bit of his own money into it. Um, he also had to sell four acres that he had bought to Belvedere, which then Croke Park had to re-buy, re-purchase back um, when they were uh, doing the redevelopment of the grounds in the, the 90s and 2000s. Um, but it was it, what was interesting was, um, Davin did all this, he was a GA man through and through. And then in 1913, the GA held a competition uh, to raise funds for what they wanted was a Croke Memorial somewhere. It was assumed it would be in t- Tipperary after Archbishop Croke to honour him. He had died about 10 years earlier. So competition was held. Huge crowds were at it. Actually, the final of it, I think 35,000 were at Jones's Road, which must have been one of the largest attended sporting events in the history of the country at that stage. They raised an enormous amount of sum, of, of money and then realised at the end of it, Actually, we don't want to just put up a statue to Archbishop Croke somewhere in Tipperary. You know, we've actually got the cash here to buy our own ground. And uh, funnily enough, um, it wasn't an automatic choice that they would buy it off Deneen uh, and the ground that they had played in since 1896 and had Deneen one of their own members. Um, and there was another site which was on the south side of the city, uh, where St. Vincent's Hospital and Elm Park Golf Club are now. Um, and that was actually the favourite. And that was the favoured site uh, in many ways. And it was only when Deneen dropped his selling price to the GAA that the GAA voted by eight votes to seven to purchase Jones's Road from Frank Deneen. Now, it would have been much handier for me had they purchased uh, Elm Park because it's much closer to my home. <laughs> and, but you can imagine how that would have changed the geography of sport in the city. Um, if it was uh, on the south side, imagine Croke Park in the middle of Dublin 4. I, absolutely, I, I was just thinking that, and all, all the main, all the all the big schools, you know, would sort of be playing GAI <laughs> as opposed to rugby, you know. 
<laughs> so, but in, in those, so you're talking 1913 then, um, and of course because of the ban, which had come in a number of years previously, so it was going to be an exclusively GAA ground. Nobody else was going to play anything there. It was just, just going to be Gaelic games. Well, I mean, there was still, yeah, well, athletics was still part of it, but they yeah. opened up to boxing. Um, you know, there was boxing matches that were held there uh, for a number of years. Um, the Talton Games, they would have had other uh, other sports being played at Croke Park. So it wasn't, I suppose, as strict as that. Sure, in 1920, was it 1923 or 24, they had a rodeo at Croke Park. I don't know if you call that a sport. but uh, <laughs> Well, I can was- tell you, uh, not only did they have a rodeo, in 1975, they had uh, Evil Knievel jump through a fiery hoop of death <laughs> there. And I know because I was at it. Okay. So I don't know if was that... It, I, Actually didn't know that. Yes, I was at this uh, Evil Knievel show in Croke Park, and I'm pretty sure it was the summer of 1975. And wow. he 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 did various things, include including jumping through a fiery hoop of death, and then <laughs> and then kind of dropping his bike onto what was like a giant uh, s- sort of bed of sponge or whatever, uh, and uh, from quite a height. I don't know if he was in fire or it was in fire. I can't quite remember that much. But uh, yes, that but did But nothing happen. in the GA rulebook which prohibited fiery hoops of death. <laughs> no, no. It was actually a Gaelic sport at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Came straight from uh, Satanta's uh, uh, youth. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times? Visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook. Okay, Gary, as you know, if you want to get in touch with us for the football walking tour, we've been doing this since August 2020, and there's a north side one, there's a south side one. We haven't gone west side yet. Uh, we're hoping to do an east side tour. We haven't gone outside uh, the pale. Dublin Bay. Mm. Actually, yeah. So it's footballwalkingtour at gmail.com. Uh, we, there's a Twitter handle of at footballtourdub and littlemuseum.ie, which is the Little Museum on Stephen's Green. Um, they also run our football tour. So littlemuseum.ie forward slash football tour. Yes, uh, forward slash. That sounds so Y2K. Kind of 1994. <laughs> Granddad, this is your email address. No, I think you're actually going back too far. I don't think it was in 1994. Forward slash. It didn't become a thing. Forward right. slash didn't become a forward slash thing until the late 90s. That's a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> uh, what do you think? It's not, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a good slash. <laughs> it's a great slash. It's a great forward slash. Uh, okay, uh, moving swiftly on in this podcast. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Visit doro.ie. Make friends with innovation. Okay, so so 1913, uh, exclusively Gaelic Games. And then um, tell us a little bit about the Hill 16 and the terrace, because again, you know, myth and folklore and all the rest of it and growing up in Dublin and, you know, whenever you have a, a visitor from overseas and you, you bring them to Crow Park, you tell them about how the terrace was constructed from the rubble of the 1916 Rising, etc., etc. But um, yeah. that is, shall we say, not in any way at all it's accurate. It's apocryphal. On, <laughs> on any way, yeah. has, there's no basis and to it. Going back over my book, I say that I, I say it correctly in one part of the book, and I actually fell uh, for the myth in another part of my book, which is a bit unfortunate. But um, so the Hill 16, as it was, so um, basically, Deneen takes over Jones's Road, it's called Croke Park. 
Um, and he immediately starts to improve facilities. He builds sort of uh, some, a small stand. He builds mounds um, so that spectators can, you know, stand up at a higher level and get better vantage point. So this, these mounds are being built up in uh, 1915 um, at the time that a battle is taking place in World War One, a um, battle called Hill 60. And it was very famous, and there was kind of there was a lot of to and fro, and it was taken, it was retaken, it was taken. So it was it was quite famous. And then somebody just dubbed the hill in the corner in Croke Park Hill Sixty. And um, now this was in 1915. So, so kind of a wag, kind of Dublin humor, kind of we're up, to, we're we're going up into Hill Sixty to watch this game, that kind of thing. Yeah, you yeah. know, and 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 that was it. Uh, there was no more to it than that. Um, and that was in 1915. So it's timeline impossible for. <laughs> um, the rubble from the 1916 rising to build a mound in 1915. Um, which was interesting was in 19, I think it was 88, when they redid the terrace as part of the first phase of the redevelopment of Co Park, then they did it again afterwards. They actually had archaeologists on site to get the rubble from the 1916 rising. And they expected to find, you know, a tank or, or whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, obviously there was nothing there because it didn't date from that period. but. Uh, and you can see uh, newspaper reports right into the 1920s, Hill 60 was packed, not Hill 16. And then there was a campaign uh, by a guy, I think he was from Clare in the early 1930s, saying, lads, we're a nationalist organisation. You know, we can't have a part of the grounds called Hill 60 after a World War One battle. We need, it, we need to make it. So this myth was created that it was made out of the rubble of the 1916 rising. And it took hold. And basically, the common memory was wiped clean. And very few people actually remembered it being called Hill 60. But it was up until the early 1930s that it, that it was Hill 60 and not Hill 16. Well, I, I, rem was, I remember, sorry, Tim, but I remember when the English rugby team were to play uh, in Croke Park in the mid 2000s and um, uh, a prominent Irish uh, <laughs> uh, media personality was doing a report for the BBC and he walked along uh, Hill 16 and announced that it had been constructed from the rubble of the 1916 rising so it's it's surprising how the myth has become fact in some people's head when it has no basis at all well isn't no there a basis. phrase in journalism uh, where editors say if it comes between uh, between printing the truth and printing the myth print the myth much more interesting. <laughs> Not that there's any myths in your book, of course. Well, no, you say fact. you say that you did get 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 one myth mixed up, or is it is this correct? Uh, I just I, I I made a in the in the part of the book dealing with the building of the, the mound and and all of that. I get it correct, and then when I'm talking about it a little bit later on, I actually perpetuate the myth in a sentence, which is desperate. <laughs> well, we, we, well, everybody should go out and buy the book. Find, <laughs> find that sentence uh, and uh, and compare it to, to to the actual real story. So, so I suppose the look. I mean, today if you go to Crow Park, um, the Hogan Stand and the history of the Hogan Stand is very important. It, it relates to Bloody Sunday. Um, it wasn't immediate, however, that the stand was renamed after Michael Hogan, who who died that day. Uh, actually, we have an interesting story about a guy called. Um, I called Joe Steins, who was uh, who was a soccer player, who was an administrator that day uh, on the day of Bloody Sunday, and was banned from the GEA a number of years later for playing soccer. It's funny how even though he witnessed all the carnage, um, still if you played soccer, you were going to get the the rough end of the ban. But anyway, it it, it wasn't immediate that the that the the Hogan stand as an 
as a name was uh, was was floated. No, I mean the so Hogan is killed tragically, obviously in 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 1920. He's the he's the main person kind of remembered out of the 14. 13 civilians were kind of were kind of largely forgotten by the GA until relatively recently. Um, and then there's a stand again. It's part of the, the development of Croke Park as being the center of the GAA. There's a stand built for um, the Talton Games, which are held in Croke Park, and this huge international event. And it's called. It's just called. You know, the, it was. I think it was called the Pavilion at the time. Um, and it was only a couple of years later, or the following year, that a decision was made. Look, we better. We better commemorate. We'd like to commemorate Hogan. So in 1926, this stand was renamed the Hogan Stand. And then that eventually, that small stand, eventually when it was redeveloped and Crow Park grew and grew, it became the name of the stand along that entire part of the part of the pitch. Um, but it was a pretty small affair. The naming of the Hogan Stand it was done on March 17th, 1926. Um, but it was part of this, and when you talk about, you know, the Crow Park was chiseled from, you know, a stone that hewn by Cucullin and, and all that. Yeah, that is a very conscious uh, move by the GA throughout its history is to make Croke Park central to its own myths and, and aspirations and in turn make the stadium central to, to Irish life. Um, so, there, you know, Croke Park there was, you know, named after Archbishop Croke. I think it was one of the first stadiums ever named after an individual in their honour. Not the not the first, but certainly one of the first. So it was a very unusual move by the GA. Then you had um, the Hogan Stand. Then in the thirties, you have the Cusick Stand. You have Hill Sixteen. So you're, you're you're you know you have a stadium that is freighted with not only the history of this, the, the association, but also the history of Ireland. And this is all part of you know making the GA the central sporting thing in the new state. Very uh, you know very calculated, I think, moved by them, but also very much in, in terms of their own ethos. But the big question that we have, myself and Gary have, right, and um, our last question for you, uh, Tim, like central to Irish life it is, and everybody in Ireland knows where Crow Park is, but immediately around the stadium is a soccer heartland. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. interaction between the stadium and that immediate community has never necessarily always been harmonious. And it's fascinating to us the number of sporting um, sportsmen and women who come from around mm-hmm. us that, that come from the immediate area around the stadium are more likely to be to be soccer yeah. people than GEA mm. people. And that dynamic of people from the outside coming to watch a match and then leaving again, and the people mm. living around the stadium, to a large degree for the last hundred years, being, being that event being pretty irrelevant to them. You know how 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 do you assess that dynamic? Would have been better if it was uh, on the south side then, obviously. What <laughs> 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 wonderful well, there you go. corporation. <laughs> Uh, okay, I was hoping for something <laughs> a bit more profound than that, but you, you get that sense. Even even I Brendan Bean yeah, writes mean, about it. And, yeah, and yeah. No, it's a very it's a very valid point. I think that's probably changed somewhat over the years as GA sort of spread to different types of communities in Dublin, mm. um, and it became you know I suppose you know a, a, a predominant game in Dublin. But I mean I suppose that's just part of geography, and there's you know I don't. 
I don't think there's anything profound to draw from it. It's not intentional, I think, on the part of the GA that they don't want the people in the surrounding areas to no, be fully engaged. No, I wouldn't say that. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's 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 a question of socioeconomics and and sort of history. And and North Dublin has been a, a you know the heartland of your shells, your bows, you know, mm. the heartland of of uh, soccer f- for more than hundred years. Um, so it is interesting from that point of view. Uh, but you know, I, I'm not sure there's any great profound uh, thing to do. I don't want to end this on a flat note now. Uh, no, no, because well, I've got a question for you, uh, and it's not related actually to 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 any sporting activity in Croke Park. In 1985, they uh, allowed they started to allow big concerts to be played there, including U2 on yeah. the 29th of uh, June 1985 and then again Simple Minds and then U2 again and so on why, why, why did they go from not having gigs at all to having big concerts and there were problems uh, with, with that weren't there well um, it's, it's basically it's just money um, I mean it doesn't come down to anything else I think I think in terms of making the making Crow Park available to other events like say the opening of the Special Olympics yeah just think, okay, Croker could have been the only place that they did that and were able to do that. I don't know. Uh, but uh, the GA certainly saw an opportunity to put themselves at the centre of the international stage. Uh, so there's sort of things the GA do, I think, that are that are kind of philosophical. Um, and then there's things, and I think the concerts is just, it is, it, it, it's almost exclusively driven by money. There's, uh, there's no other, I think, motivation behind it. Although uh, sure Garth, Garth Brooks is on... Garth Brooks is on the whoa, GAA executive, whoa, isn't whoa. he? Hold on a second. Now, we can talk about a lot of things <laughs> in this, on this podcast. We can talk about hunger strikes and partition and war and disease and emigration and unemployment <laughs> and troubles. But I swear to God, you mentioned the GB word and we are in serious, serious trouble here. Garth Brooks, we cannot, we cannot go there. Gareth Brooks. Gar- Gareth Brooks, as he's known locally. <laughs> uh, we cannot go. That's, that's, a, that's a big one. There's a whole book on that one, Tim. Yeah, 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 it's a terrible venue for concerts, in my opinion. When I see Bruce Springsteen there, and I'm a huge fan, I was so disappointed. It just was very flat. I much prefer the RDS. There you go. Oh my God, he's such a Southsider. Uh, yeah, no, there, there's a real bias coming out here. You, listen, you're going to be st- writing about rugby. Yeah, the, the, you know the yeah, history, yeah, the, the history of about halves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. The glory, no, the glory years of. Really, you know, I, I like, I, I'm through and through cooler. Really? Oh, right. Okay. okay so the you glory must be years of with the with the with uh, my well, friend from RT, Des. We we have this joke Let's on the count. tour where we talk about Oscar Trainer Road uh, or Oscar Trainer before he became a road that he had some some. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, Southsiders don't get it. They don't get the joke. Yeah, well, they don't because they've got like Wellington Road and Waterloo Road and Prince of Wales Terrace. And they're going like, who's this like dude called Oscar Trainer? Yeah. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and telling us about, about, about the history of Crow Park. We really appreciate it. So for more information on our football walking tour, you can go on our Twitter, which is at footballtourdub. You can email us at footballwalkingtour at gmail.com. You can book tickets at littlemuseum.ie slash football tour but always remember that this is not a good tour it is a great tour uh, is that the right line thank you to tim 